Hey, this is LGBTQ&A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Ali Liebegott. Ali is a poet, a novelist. She writes for the TV show Transparent, also cameos as a security guard Tiffany, and we have a lot to talk about. Stay tuned. Hi. Hi. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I told somebody that I was interviewing you and they said, you know, she's a shirt maker. That is true. All of your accomplishments, though, have been eclipsed. I just mailed a t-shirt to Australia today. Oh my God. Which one was it? I realized it was, I made a shirt that says, um, law and order episodes where it's the woman's fault. And then there's just like 3000 hash marks. Um, (laughs) But I realized as I was shipping it to Australia, I just have a flat shipping fee. Oh, you don't charge international? No, which oh. is why the business will fail. Okay. <laughs> Good thing you also write. <laughs> Good thing. As we said for transparent. Um, I'm from North Carolina, so when they passed the bathroom bills, I sent an email to my parents saying, you have to watch transparent. You have to educate yourself. But also, What I think nobody talks about is that I think it's the most Jewish family on TV. Yes, it probably is. I love them. Are there a lot of Jewish people in North Carolina? Um, Well, I left, so now there's like two. Okay. Yeah, there was three. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I also feel so protective over them because um, I like know them, and so I cannot be objective. I even like Josh. (laughs) It's very hard to do. Poor Josh. Who broke Catherine Hahn's heart. Well... You gotta wait and see. Season three is out soon. When does it come back? I think September twenty third. Okay, this is your first TV gig of any yes. sort. Did, when did you realize in the process like what a special show it was going to be? Um, I think you know it's so funny. So much has changed, especially with trans politics in the last three years. So even when we were writing the first season before it came out, it was. Um, all of these issues weren't in the news like they are now, you yeah. know, bathroom law bills, Caitlyn Jenner coming out, like all of this stuff. So I think people wondered, I mean, I've always been in the queer community and had friends that were trans and stuff. So, and I lived in San Francisco for a long time. So like, but as far as it like hitting the media, like and opening up so that your mom will know what a trans person is and my mom will like, it's so much has changed in the last three years, you know? So I think we didn't know until, I remember when we won the Golden Globe, like it felt really, no one was expecting that. I mean, I don't know if no one was, I wasn't (laughs) expecting it. It was that late in the process. I mean, we all knew that we were working on something we wanted to be working on. You know, I mean, I felt as a writer, I, I was a poet first and then a novelist and sort of always felt like I never got big advances. My books were not those books you buy. If, if anyone's ever reading my book on a plane, I'm happy <laughs> or in an airport because they're not those books, you know? So for me, the message was always like all of that queer content makes a project less saleable, not more saleable. So it's, I can't believe I've lived long enough that anyone wants me to 
like give them my queer perspective or experience, you know, because that was never part of the oh, funny capitalist equation. Also, you've been writing for years. Yes. This is the first time that you've like been able to make a living writing. Yes, it's right? true. Yes, it is. Has that like sunk in? That well, you still it, feel like that? Yeah, I do all the time. All the time. I mean, I actually, I like to eat at Cantor's and they always have older waitresses. And so I always feel like, I can, I have somewhere to go if I need to go waitress again, you know, and it'll be canters, but, um, they were just hiring the other day actually. But, um, yeah, it's really weird to make a living as a writer when you, cause I came to terms so long ago that I wasn't going to make a living as a writer and I was always going to have a side job and trying to figure out what is the best side job to have to accommodate your life as a writer. You know, I was a waitress, I was a teacher, I was a grocery store cashier, you know, and it just trying to figure out like I needed health benefits, like what was the job that was going to allow me the best leftover time to be a writer, you know, and it was so confusing, you know, it still is for me. Is it weird that you're a TV writer most yeah, prominently? I guess so. Now, I mean, now it is. I mean, it's only, it's been so new, you know, it hasn't even been three years. So I've, I've written three seasons of TV. Wow. Where, where before Transparent did you see yourself represented on TV? Now, I, I mean, nowhere, really. I mean, I'm not sure if I do now, you know, like I, I, Tiffany does go through on a golf cart, which <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for. But I always think that um, I didn't. I don't know if I should say this. I didn't watch a lot of TV. I didn't even own a TV when I was asked to write for this show. Oh, my God. So the first thing <laughs> I did was I went and I bought a TV, you know, and then I bought a book, How to Write for TV, and I tried to figure it out, you know. But um, growing up, I think I, I was I loved the facts of life. I was obsessed with Joe from the facts of life. So I feel like whenever I think of, like, representation, yeah. she was the person that I like had weird feelings for, you know, and like wrote away for yeah. the eight by 10 glossy of her headshot, you know, and then later in the later seasons of facts of life, they really glammed her up. And then I couldn't understand what was happening. Cause she was wearing these giant shoulder pad blazers. Yeah. And... Do, do you feel like you, like, do you watch pop culture? Like, have you, have you ever seen an Avengers movie? No. Okay. Ask me. I mean, I, I've watched more movies now um, than I ever have because they come in the mail. Okay. Like, and I mean, I ask because I know that you can relate the collective you. You can relate to other characters that don't look and sound like yes. you. Yes. But for you to never see any characters anywhere, that's kind of wild. Is the Avengers gay? Is that a gay movie? Um, they are superheroes and none are gay. Um, There's one female. <laughs> gay people always love superheroes, though. Not you. Not well. I mean, I don't dislike super. I, I I actually did have strange feelings for Aquaman. I don't know if I've sorted them out. Oh, that's weird. Um, I don't know. I think <laughs> it's a little belt. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a little out of the pop culture loop. I'm more in it now than ever because I live in LA now and I have to try to. You're a TV writer. I just learned how to do the dance, the sprinkler. Do you know what that is? You know I think I already is? forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it probably came out in like. 1980, but I've just learned it. I think it came out in 2008. How does everyone know the sprinkler and not me? It's like retro now. It's very cool now. Actually. It is? Yeah. Good. I just got it down. That's really funny. And also, like, for queer people, you know, until recently, we didn't see ourselves in the media. Yeah. But I also think about not seeing ourselves in our lives. Like, people we know, our communities. We have to... We're never born into a queer community. We have to, like, search them out. 
And so within that search, I'm kind of obsessed with like the idea of mentorship Mm -hmm. and finding mentors and not finding mentors. Like I remember in college having a professor who was um, like overtly gay Mm -hmm. and it was shocking to me that he would be okay with people knowing he was gay. Was this in North Carolina? This was. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, I'm much older than you, um, but like, (laughs) I grew up without the internet, you know? So when I turned old enough, I knew I had to get to San Francisco and that was my search for queer community, you know? And so I moved to San Francisco and, um, and to be a writer and to be gay, you know? And so for me, it was like, so I just, someone that I just knew get there, you know, and everything will be fine, you know, but um, yeah, it's almost like survival to cut you off. Um, it seems like survival wise for you, like you needed to be gay and you needed to write mm-hmm. and whether or not you got made a living doing it, it didn't matter. Like those were like the food and water. Yeah. That's wild. It's really true. Where- I never thought of making, I mean, you always, there was always like one friend in the group that like managed to sell a book and everyone couldn't understand the mystery of how that happened, you know? But I think a lot of my peers also were people who lived the same way. So it was very normalized. You know, we had our own events. We had our own communities. We read at the same places, you know, we went to the same bars. It was, it was a community, you know, and the cost of living was so much less in San Francisco then that you could survive off, you know, a coffee shop job or a waitress job. And it wasn't also maybe our standards were very low for life. Yeah. (laughs) Just like a happy hour beer. Yeah, well, or 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a lot more in common, I thought. <laughs> but going back to the mentors, before you moved to San Francisco, did you have a mentor? No, I didn't. I mean, I was I was so gay. And I, I just saw that movie. Well, I didn't just see it, but I was obsessed with that movie, Carol. And um, I actually wrote a short. I, I went to the Golden Globes dressed as Kate Blanchett as Carol which we'll talk about at a later date. But, like, I was obsessed with that movie, and I think a lot of the reason I was obsessed with it was because the entire plot revolved around her meeting a stranger, you know, and falling in love, and and that time period where you did, like, kind of, like, see the girl that worked at the grocery store and wonder, was she gay, and da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, so it really resonated for me to to look for clues and to look for signs and, you know... To find your people, yeah. you know, it's so funny now that there, there's like, I don't that that's just because someone's gay doesn't make them my people. You right. know what I mean? Where yeah. at a different time in my life, it it was a it was the the thing that I needed to see in myself so much. You know, because I had a lot of shame and uh, about being gay, and um, I think culturally, like we our culture was so less open, you know, I was in my mid twenties before the character Ellen came out as gay on her TV show. So it was like, you couldn't, it was news when a character came out as gay, do you know? And so I'm always obsessed with, I could talk about this forever. So cut me off if you need to, but coming of age in a time where, especially living in San Francisco, everyone was dying of AIDS, everyone. Like I worked at a, I worked at a restaurant and, um, your customers, I mean, were gone. It was in the, it was in the Castro and it was like, they were there one week and then they weren't, you know, and it was so watching so many people die, you know, and, um, 
coming of age in a time where the only representation of gayness was gay men dying. You know, um, if there was a TV show, like I'm thinking of like shows like Philadelphia or do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you got to be a gay in the media, that's what you got to do. You got to die. Yeah. And you got to have like a sad mom, like be at the son's bed. And hopefully you, if she'd be there, it may be. And then you had the dad like throwing a lamp. And that was like the, that was queerness. I think in the media, I mean, that may be a little rough, but no, I know. I mean, mean, it's close. I mean, it's so interesting hearing you discuss it because, like, queer literature that discusses AIDS dying, it's the gay experience. It's a normal heart. There's not a lesbian on that in that movie, you know. (laughs) Um, It's and like Angel in America. Like, there's nothing that details the the queer woman's experience well the queer woman was being the friend and the nurse to many of those people you know what i mean and the when i lived in san francisco like the queer women were being in activist groups queer nation they were being an act up you know they were doing protests and stuff like that so they were around in their own ways you know but they they weren't at risk in the same way you know yeah. health wise so did have you always presented is it like masculine? Yeah, I mean, I think if in my heart of hearts, I I probably would have a lot younger, but um, I didn't. I don't think I think there was like resistance in my family for me to do that. You know, my it, the women in my family are women. You know, and so as I as I sort of came into like for a long time, I didn't even not for a long time, but I was always like I'm not butch. Because I hate, I I was really into like, there was a time in San Francisco, like, you're top, you're a bottom, you're a butch, you're a femme. Like, it just felt so constricting. I didn't want to, yeah. like, say I was anything, you know? But yeah, I think naturally, I've always been sort of butch in my heart, you know? And now I'm just, I always call myself, I do stand up sometimes. I'm always like, you know, I identify really as a gender turducken. That's what, <laughs> that's how I identify, you know. That's very good. Because my whole <laughs> life is like, sir, ma'am, sir, 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 I ma'ams, mean, all day long. Which I have to imagine is very similar to like people of the trans experience. There is a crossover for sure. Like I don't feel comfortable using restrooms in public that are like gendered because inevitably mm-hmm. someone's going to tell me to get out and it's annoying. It's horrible. No one should have to go through that, you know, but I would rather pee on the side of the road in the dirt than like deal with like a clutch of women in a Starbucks in Bakersfield, you know? I mean, and one of the things I want to show on this show is that there's not any one way to be gay or bi or trans and a woman can present very like masculine of center and still want to be a woman. Yeah. Like you don't want to be a trans person. I'm not a, I don't identify as a, a trans person at all and I don't but I understand where how I cross over you know I, yeah. I always feel like I'm very comfortable in my body as I am my my problems start when I have to interact with the people of planet earth yeah you know well I, I think too though again talking about North Carolina people who view gender as immutable and they don't acknowledge the complexities that's also because it's just so ingrained in our culture and while I think that they can like open their eyes some. I want to like honor the fact that it's a little more difficult than other people because for a lot of them, like their gender is a religion. And if it's like telling you, you can't believe in God anymore for them hearing that there's something in between man yeah. and woman, or you can be a woman and like present in different yeah. ways that it's mind blowing. Or, or you can, you can identify as male. And, and, um, I, I, I that's the other thing I feel like is like, there's so many, I know so many gay men and even straight men. I know some straight men that 
identify and present in a feminine manner and they are so at risk like because you know it's that that sissy thing and stuff like that so you know it's interesting though I mean it's interesting that we're even having conversations I feel like the the bathroom bills um the fact that there are people who are comfortable enough with their gender identity in high school now to come out and fight for the rights to go places is like I mean, it gives me goosebumps to think about, you know, but so I I do think things are moving forward. I just think it's hard because they don't always feel like they're moving forward at the pace that we need them to, to keep people safe and untraumatized, you know, I don't know. I just don't get the big deal. Like when I love Disneyland, when I go to Disneyland, this is like hilarious, but they, they used to have one gender neutral bathroom, which was on Tom Sawyer's Island. And you would take a, <laughs> a raft, I would take a raft out there and then I'd pee. And then, you know, now I just pee in the men's room at Disneyland because I actually, it's safer for me to be in a men's room than to be in a women's room. That is so wild that you knew where the one gender neutral yeah, bathroom I find was. Out, yeah. There's some app, I think actually there's, wow. you can get an app on your phone. I don't have it, but it tells you where, um, to find them and stuff. But these basic basic things that most people don't have to think about, you know, like, because, yeah. you know, they just walk into any bathroom they want, you know, but. And, and yeah, and, I, and I'm not like, of course, I hope it's not coming across like you need to wear a dress, but it's like the, I'm asking, <laughs> um, because it's like a safety issue. Like you said. Yeah. It, it's know? also like a bladder issue. Like who knows what my kidneys are like now after living like this for so long, <laughs> you know? So um, do you think the, uh, definition of butch has become less rigid. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was a, a, a sort of like people distancing themselves from that word. And there's like, now there's like, well, it's not distancing as much as now there's new words. There's like gender nonconforming and you're da, 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 da. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not hip with the kids, so I don't know what they're doing, but, um, for me, I'm like, okay, that, that word makes sense for who I am. Yeah. If you say like your gender, sometimes I look at a form and it's like male, female, or other. You have to check one. And sometimes I check other because I'm like, I am really kind of an other, you know, and I'm like, okay with that. But like you said, it's only because of the way like the world treats you. Like you, didn't you? I mean, I, I sometimes can't believe that like, um, like when I actually, when I, when I went as Carol, to the Golden Globes, I got, I went, I went in, I went, I went like a hundred percent. I went and I got the manicure and I was sitting in the pedicure seats. I'd never gotten a manicure before or a pedicure. And, um, it was like me and three women, women, you know what I mean? And it was like a trip for sure. I just like took it in and, um, I was just sitting there getting them done and everything. But I as I was, I was doing this whole thing. I was thinking, Oh my God, like, like biologically, physically, I am the same person as that person, but it is such a, it's so crazy what, how this can all play out in life, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm like, I am a woman, but am I like, I don't know. Like, it's sort of like, this is like, I don't know. This, does your podcast have little comments? Are people going <laughs> to... I'm not reading them, but we'll like, turn them off. Okay, no. great. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't care. I, I don't know, care. Yeah. But cause it, for me, it is a truth. I, you know, it's like the truth is like, um, these things that we, the fact that there could only be two of anything, I just makes no sense to me. Yeah. It just makes no sense. You know? Yeah. 
And I, I think too, that is why instead of being a butch or femme, like you talk about being hip with the kids. I think the kids nowadays, they describe themselves as butch, but not as a butch. So it's like the noun versus the adjective. Oh, really? Yeah. Are there, are there still, but I just met a young butch in, in Salt Lake City the other day. And um, we were shooting a short up there. And um, I was like, which, by the way, being queer in Salt Lake City or in Utah at all, you know, because a lot of these kids come from like really kind of strict Mormon families, you know, and it's just like it's easy in Los Angeles to forget about yeah. sort of these. It's very I've lived in the smaller places, too, you know, and it's like there's so many people like, you know, just trying to assert who they want to be in the world. And there's it sometimes I just feel like it shouldn't be that hard for people. It shouldn't be. We shouldn't have to fight against religion. We shouldn't have to fight about it. Well, I think too, this is not taught in school, you know, and it's like male, female, everything. So like, I remember when I first learned the concept that like gender is a spectrum and it's like not rigid. <laughs> Were you in college? I was after college. Uh-huh. I was like 25 ish and I was reading Kate Bornstein mm-hmm. on my own. Um, and I read her memoir and then I read Gender Outlaws. And when she, um, she transitioned and then she said like, I don't feel like I'm both and neither. Right. Mm-hmm. I just had to like close the book and just like process it. Yep. And then keep reading. Yeah. Her, and, she's awesome. I loved her book that she wrote about Scientology. Did you read that yet? Yeah, a Queer and Pleasant Danger. It's awesome. Incredible. Because, I mean, it's just such a history of so many different things, of gender, of real estate in New York City in the 70s, of Scientology. Like, it's amazing. And, and the fact of, like, Scientology being the, the thetas or thetans mm-hmm. that are genderless. And so, like, oh, it just makes yeah. so much sense. How she got sort of, like, how yeah. she was kind of able to avoid the issues of her own gender for so long yeah. under that. Yeah. I read this book recently that rocked my world. Um, it's called Persistence, Always Butch and Femme. It was a collection of essays by uh, Ivan E. Coyote. Oh, yeah, and, Canadian. Yeah, and uh, their wife, Sharman. Sh- uh, mm-hmm. um, it was like 70 essays about what butch and femme meant to these different women. And I thought, oh, okay, like, I'll read a couple. They'll be the same. <laughs> no, nothing was alike. 70 different perspectives that neither one mirrored a single one. Like, it just blew my mind. But this is why I feel like, especially now that we do have queer characters on TV, that the fact that there haven't been any and now there's more and that the problems that we come up against, I think, culturally is that there is no one experience of anything. But when you wait right. forever to see like the dyke on TV or a trans woman on TV, people have been starved of that representation. So the, that we all have this different idea of like what should be represented once it's finally there, you know? And so I think it, it's so interesting to me that like you would never like a straight white cis man could behave so poorly as a character yeah. all the time on TV and it would be okay. You know what I mean? But because there's so many to choose from, you know? So I look forward to the day when like, you know, I think we're getting, we have more than we used to, you know, but like, like I said, it's, these are challenges, I think. Yeah. And we tend to get the characters once they've figured things out. So like, I want to see the young butch girl who's like figuring out that she's yeah. butch and it's like meddling in it mm-hmm. not once she's older and like describing herself as a butch right. like i mean, these coming of age stories for queer people but uh it's coming i think maybe maybe <laughs> <laughs> i think transparency helping that no with as 
not with the growing visibility of lesbians and butch women on TV, does that change kind of like your aspirations for your like own life, like your career goals? Mm, I don't know if it does. Like for me, it's like I can't ever imagine writing a. I, I could happen, but like queer characters will always be in my novels, and they'll. I can't imagine. I, I don't know how to divorce myself from my own experience enough to not have them there, you know? Yeah. It might not be the issue, but they'll be there, you know? And I also feel like if I don't write those characters, who does? Do you mm-hmm. know? Like, I'd rather I write the Dyke character than someone who has no idea what the experience of that is. Like, I've been going on these auditions. I'm trying to act in addition, not in lieu of writing. And that, like... Honestly, like 90% of the auditions are so depressing because the dyke is always the, the, it's always the butt of the joke. Always. It's, and it's always the butt of like, uh, some straight emo dudes joke, you know? And, and it's like, they often, they're often written like super uneducated and just like kind of, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's so it's so dehumanizing, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be one thing if I wrote that character, do you know, because there are all sorts of dykes in the world, as we know, you right. know what I mean? But the, the, the kind of stereotypical idea of what the dyke is and stuff, uh, it's, it's so depressing. It is so, and then you don't get the part and you think I'm not even, I can't even get the part to, I don't want the part and I can't get it. Like there's something yeah. so <laughs> like if I don't get the role of the dyke, who does like who gets the role of the dyke like, like it's cutting so, someone's hair it's so yeah. confusing no, it's so confusing <laughs> you're like am i not butch enough for you what is it like i don't want it and why can't i have it it was so apparent in your character on transparent tiffany tiffany that a uh, like a butch one wrote that and said let's name her tiffany well because there's always a butch name something super feminine you know, I know I and it's that. like um my mom like my mom had like really high hopes for me like my my full name is alexandra you know but she had like 30 like super feminine italian names picked out for me and it's just like i think it's hilarious that there's a butch named tiffany that there's a butch name you know celeste that there's like these these sort of like hyper feminized <laughs> names you know and that yeah I felt like it was an inside joke for like the queer people. <laughs> um, I can't help but staring at Emily Dickinson on oh, your arm yeah. during the whole interview. Is that her? Yeah. Oh God, thank God I got it right. Some people think it's Frida Kahlo because I think of the hair, but there's no other reason. There's yeah, no unibrow. Emily Dickinson. Um, I read about your pilgrimage to her house. Mm-hmm. What was that like seeing it? Well, I've been there a couple times. She lives in Amherst. She was always an important poet to me and... Um, I still think like nobody's done what she did or even close. Like she sort of broke the mold, you know? And, um, so to be in her space was amazing. Actually, you, you, it's her house. And now they've just opened her sister-in-law's house a few years ago across the lawn, whom she may or may not have had feelings for wrote letters to. And so when you go into her bedroom, there's her little writing desk and her bed and you get to read a poem in her room, you know? So it was, it was really, for me, it was, I, I'm a nerd like that. So I, I loved it. You know, you see her garden and the kitchen and the wall, the sister's house is, sister-in-law's house is cool because it was completely untouched. So 
there is the same wallpaper that was in there when she lived there and it's sort of half renovated and stuff. So for me, it was really awesome to be in that space. You're like, oh, she looked out this window and wrote a poem. Oh, this tree. Oh, this tree. You know, oh, that street. Oh, wow. So it was pretty, it was pretty. And then nearby is her, the cemetery and there's her grave and, um, I don't know. Amherst is very, very beautiful, you know, and especially in the, the fall time, if you can go in the fall, cause all the leaves are changing and stuff. But she, Emily Dickinson, I remember being so, we learned her in high school, but I didn't get it, you know, so figuring out my gender in high school. I don't have time for Emily Dickinson, you know, but that I always felt like, I don't know. I associated her with school or something, or like, she was like some sort of like, prude good girl and yeah, then when i got deep rhyme, yeah our poems <laughs> rhyme what is this you know and then when you get deeper in there you're like oh i felt a funeral in my brain that was the first emily dickinson poem that like kind of changed things for me i was like i felt a funeral in my brain emily dickinson what are you talking about yeah so then i i wanted to know everything you know and um i don't know i i just think it's she's an incredible was an incredible person and poet and her poems like for me like stand up today you know which which is like even more amazing to me that like no one knew who she was when she was alive yeah i know like i just think about like what she would think of her like legacy i know well there's a i think there's a movie coming out called silent spring about her i'm afraid to watch it i'm like i don't want to be disappointed but maybe no i don't i don't know um maybe it'll be great though we'll see or we won't see. I'm playing her. <laughs> um, I also saw like the reference I laughed and beautifully worthless. Um, I've been reading a lot of Emily Dickinson in one of the letters. Yeah. That also kind of matches your, let's, it's okay to call it a pilgrimage. Yeah. Um, in beautifully worthless, it just captured the queer experience to me where we're simultaneously running towards something we can't see, but also like away from something. Mm. And it's like just chasing both. That, that book was, um, the Beautifully Worthless was the first book that I wrote, and um, it was a road. It was based on a road trip I took, um, I think, in nineteen ninety seven or eight, somewhere around there. And um, I, it was no cell phones. I was alone. I traveled with my dog many times across the country, and. Um, it was the experience of really being on I've alone traveling as a dyke and in our country and with my dog and just different different things and it's a high it's a series of hybrid poems and I don't know, I was obsessed with like epic poems and today's modern epic and stuff like that. So that's what that book was. But um I don't think I I don't think I even knew I was writing a book when I went on that trip. Do you know? And yeah. so like afterwards I was like, oh I wrote a book. I didn't know I was I didn't like I'm gonna take a road trip and I'm gonna write a book. It yeah. just sort of happened, you know, thankfully. But did you also stop in Laramie by yeah, coincidence? All of that. Really? Yeah. When, when Laramie, I, I went through Laramie before Matthew Shepard was murdered. And so when I edited the book, it was just after he had died. And I thought it was so crazy that I had been in Laramie just months before. I mean, obviously people get murdered all the time everywhere and whatever, but there was something about, I mean, I remember being, getting my oil changed there. I remember 
I remember the kid who changed my oil. Like it was so that, that feeling of like, I always have this feeling, this goes back to the bathrooms. I always have that feeling of, I can't go in there. Oh, you're being crazy. Yes, you can. And then you go in there and the bad thing happens. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's like that idea of like trying to trust our intuition and safety and constantly being told like, you're fine. There's no one, you know, and uh, so it's so, it was so shocking to me. Like the the reason I've traveled so much with my pets and that dog passed away, but I love that dog so much. Rorschach, she was this like crazy Dalmatian who like bit every one of my girlfriends in the face and like she was. Oh, that's it? Yeah. (laughs) And she was awesome though in all these other ways, you know, but she was like. No one would fuck with me with that dog. Can we say that word? Yeah. Oh, that's why you travel with your pets. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to sleep in my truck alone, you know. But I also liked, you know, the dog was a good companion in a lot of other ways. But Yeah. When the Laramie poem in the book, I was like, oh, yeah, that happened. That happened. I I mean, yeah. I mean, so much. I mean, I, I was just thinking about this the other day because now we have... The first thing I do when I wake up is look at the news on my phone, which is probably the thing that a person should never do because it's it's so depressing. And I feel like it's made to – you don't have to seek out trauma. It's right there for you. Do you know? And, um, yeah, the opposite. You- <laughs> but when I was writing that book, I felt like actually my relationship to some of those stories in there was – I was trying to say, look at this trauma has happened and these traumas happened in our community, do you know, mm-hmm. opposed to now we don't have to do that. It's just like, oh, here's another trauma. Here's another trauma, you know. Wow. Anyway, fun times. Yeah. <laughs> Before we uh, end it on that horrible note. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is coming up next for you? Ooh. Any big projects? Let's see. We're going to start. um Writing season four of Transparent soon, the end of September. Um, I'm working on a novel uh, that I started 15 years ago that I'm going to return to um, in a different way. Let's see, I just was, I got to act in this short film that was written by Guinevere Turner. You should have her on your show. Um, and that was really fun. That was in Salt Lake City. And um, I don't know. I'm going to. Just keep on keeping on, I think. Great. Great. You must change your life. You must change your life. It's, Real it's on good. her arm. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. If anybody wants to find more info about you, send them to your website. Just come to my website. Buy a t-shirt, but Allie. not if you're in Australia. <laughs> it's AllieLiebegott.com, right? Yep. Fantastic. And I'm Jeffrey Masters. Um, I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. You can find all of our other shows for LGBTQ&A on iTunes. Also, YouTube if you want to watch our beautiful faces. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. <laughs> 